You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Before we begin, I'd like to just open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and praise you and worship you this day, and we gather collectively to do so. And Father, we just ask this morning that you would be glorified, and then you would open our eyes of understanding to the truths from your word. We ask this morning also that not only would we be able to understand the divine provision that you've given us through your word, but that you would also empower us by the enablement of your Holy Spirit to obey these truths and to consider them deeply in our hearts, that you would bring them to fruition in our lives by your grace and your power. And we ask this to your glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we have seen in the last portion of this chapter of Philippians that Paul and Timothy were used and elevated by God as faithful servants. They knew fully well that it was nothing that they did, but it was Christ in them that worked through them. But they were fully given to God. Examples to us of what God does through faithful servants. In this portion, we're going to examine this uh, actually gives us a better understanding, <clears throat> understanding of who we are in Christ. We're spiritual beings, and yet we're human. And Paul is going to show us some of the human side of our spiritual beings as they unfold this text, which includes a man who is rather uh, unknown in the New Testament, a man by the name of Epaphroditus. I'm going to read the text, and then we'll examine it. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. <clears throat> for indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, <clears throat> so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete, was deficient, which was deficient in your service to me. 
Now, Paul shows in this text just how deep a love he has for this brother. So who was this Epaphroditus? He had a Greek name, which means lovely or favored by Epaphrodite. The name is common and one related to the goddess of Epaphrodite, or Venus, who is the goddess of love. He may have come from a Greek family who were devoted to Epaphrodite, but Jews had also adopted Greek names. Even Christians adopted Greek names for their children. So as we consider that this uh, is no, there's no outstanding record of his past, there's no record of his conversion, or anything about Epaphroditus, except we, what we can find here when Paul gives us, the, he devotes actually the last portion of this chapter totally to this man. Of all the men he honors in this epistle, this layman, he selects him. Why? Because of his humble service to other Christians. Paul describes him as a brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and also your messenger. Paul calls him my brother. That's how he begins to describe his brother Epaphroditus. This shows a very deep and personal relationship with him in Christ. We may say he's a friend, someone that we know, a person fairly well, but we say, when we say he's my friend, that changes the whole context. It gives it more of a personal relationship. Paul calls him my brother. This is the deep affection that he's showing as he pins this letter. They served together in the Lord, which bonded them together in a very close way in Christ. Brotherhood was actually something new in this period, in this day. Some aspects of this ancient culture uh, bore resemblance to brotherhood, and that was the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers had a bond because they battled together. They joined together in the Roman army, which is one of the most powerful armies of that time. They conquered the entire empire. So they had a bond as soldiers. There were political associations at that time that were united, but only because of political objectives. For the most part, the ancient world was divided. They were actually sharply divided. There were divisions between the Greeks and the Romans. There were divisions between the Jews and the Gentiles and publicans, citizens, and even some of the soldiers from the rest of the community. Nothing united these factions of people together. They had no common bond. When the gospel of Christ came, it came and brought the Christian brotherhood. Christians knew that they had been under the curse of God because of their sin. But now 
were brought into a new relationship to God through salvation and regeneration through Christ. He affected the way they looked at one another, the way they treated one another, and they may have not talked about, <clears throat> about it at all, but there was a bond. But there were divisions in the Roman world, which we've just mentioned, which were also in some parts of the church in Philippi. We need to look at ourselves in this regard as we consider this text. Do we have the brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ in the church today? I speak to that universally. That they had here that's demonstrated in the New Testament. This is the exhortation, I guess, that Paul would bring forth through this text. Paul also calls Epaphroditus a co-worker for Christ. In Revelation chapter 3, Christ praised the little church at Ephesus in this way. He said, you have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Of course, later he rebukes them because they've turned from their first love. But we see in a sense in which churches have almost stopped working in the 20th century in the 21st century, the millennial century. As we think of that, during the 19th and 20th century, the Protestant church prospered. They grew, and yet they became complacent as far as the gospel, the outreach, and the concern for the lost, and the concern for bringing forth and sacrificially bringing forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was brought forth by some of the commentators, and yet we see how the evangelical, quote, have compromised much today, trying to merge evangelicals and Catholics together, bringing forth some kind of an ecumenical outreach. We have to understand that this is cause for concern. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who penned this, said, we have lost true teaching, and the greatest and most urgent need today is proclaiming God's word expositionally, word by word. And then there was an article by Stephen Larson in which it was entitled, Preach the Word. And I'll, this is what he said, quote, Exposition is being replaced with entertainment and doctrine with drama, theology with theatrics, and preaching with performances. That's how he identif identified the evangelical church today, end quote. We look like... We too, like Epaphroditus, need to be co-workers or co-laborers of the gospel. Paul named many co-workers in his epistles, as you know. He named Apollos, Aquila, Priscilla, Aristarchus, Clement, Mark, Onesimus, Philemon, Timothy, Titus, Titius, along with Epaphroditus in this text. So Paul often used this term 
but it was a term of endearment and also encouraged those who he worked with alongside to bring forth the gospel. Continuing, he calls in <clears throat> second part of verse 25, he calls him a fellow soldier. Fellow soldier. This suggests that they fought together against the forces of evil, which prevented the gospel from being spread. We are also fellow soldiers in that way. We're commanded to put on the full armor of God who has already provided for us. We're to stand against the fiery darts of the enemies. The persecuted Christians were facing Judaizers, Greek and Roman mockers, emperor worship, immorality, secularism, and homosexuality as well as atheism. Any of that sound familiar today? We face the same common enemies in our society, though not as same in the Greek and Roman sense, but in the same of the immorality that this world and the fallen bring forth. We are in this battle together. Christian workers who are equipped with sound theology and prepared with the word of God to bring forth the gospel should do so. Only many don't. We become complacent, somehow fearful. But think of those who serve God in that way, fearlessly. In our midst here, we have several, and I will talk about later on some of the missionaries that are in our midst that we need to recognize. <clears throat> We're to suffer hardship. Paul instructed Timothy in this way in 2 Timothy 2.3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. That would be in 2 Timothy again 2.3. Though all Christians are in a daily battle in the world, the flesh, the devil, and the world, we have within us God's Holy Spirit. So we are able to do what God gives us the grace to do, whatever position or condition that we may be in. <clears throat> Second title that Paul brings, he gives this to Epaphroditus. He was a messenger sent from Philippi to meet Paul's needs. The word messenger literally is the word from the word apostle. Now here, it's used in a broader sense. The word in the literal meant one sent out. So Epaphroditus was a member of the church of Philippi, and they sent him out. His mission was this, to bring a gift and to bring encouragement to the apostle Paul as he was imprisoned in Rome. He did so. And as he did so, we have to understand some things. He had to make a journey from Philippi to Rome. This was an arduous journey. This journey was over 800 miles in never different forms of travel in order, <clears throat> excuse me, to get there. 
he had to <clears throat> endure hardships, pain, suffering, and yet he did so as a faithful servant. How often do we think about what these first century saints went through? It's worthy to do some studies on church history and to analyze and to study and understand what some of the saints have done throughout history <clears throat> for the sake of the gospel. <clears throat> he called Epaphroditus a minister. This word has several meanings, and it is the word from which we get our word liturgy. In the New Testament, a minister is commonly used for service of the Lord. Paul spoke of himself as a minister of Christ Jesus. Paphroditus, to use this term, but Paul identified himself in this way in Romans 15, 16. He said he was a minister of Christ to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God. That's how Paul identified himself to the Romans. <clears throat> Paul was praising Epaphroditus and saying that he was most valuable gift who came to Paul from Philippi. He was selfless, tireless, and a humble servant. Because he was longing for you and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy upon him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. <clears throat> It must have been extremely difficult for Paul to send his brother back to the church at Philippi. Think about it. He was such a source of encouragement and strength to Paul. One who came, came with good news about Philippi, the church at Philippi, and the servants at Philippi, and to bring him a gift and comfort Paul. And yet, Paul welcomely sent him back. And what are the reasons? One of the reasons was to wish that uh, Epaphroditus might be fulfilled. He was concerned about the Philippian saints. Why? Because they had already heard that he was sick. And not just sick, but almost sick unto death. When we consider, you know, what was the sickness, we don't really know. But there was many contagious illnesses, especially in the area of Rome, where Epaphroditus could have contacted any kind of disease. And yet he did so. And what happened? He was shown mercy by God and brought back to health. Why? In order that you may rejoice. This is another reason that Paul sent him to Philippi. He wanted the Philippians to rejoice, not only to have their servant Epaphroditus return in good health, but also to bring a report about Paul, who Paul was still administering the gospel and ministering to the saints even while he was in prison. <clears throat> Epaphroditus wasn't tired of serving Paul or wanting only to return home, nor was he concerned about the harm that might come to him. Think of it. 
I uh, often carry a little bottle with me and clean my hands frequently after I shake hands with somebody or somebody coughs. I go over in a corner and wash my hands or go out and wash my face. I'm a gene uh, germ phobia person or something. I don't know how to describe it. But when I think of this text or I look at biblical history and I think what all these servants of God were exposed to and just walked by grace and faith in Christ whom they served, you can't, you've got to cast aside our personal fears and also recognize the God that we serve. The other reason that Paul uh, was willing to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi so that he would be less sorrowful and also the Philippian believers would be less sorrowful. <clears throat> he not only wanted them to return home, but because of their concern about the harm that might come to him. But he, the text said he was longing for his fellow believers in Philippi and was distressed, distressed because he heard, they heard that he was sick. Now, he must have been in Rome long enough to become sick and word to get back to Philippi that he was sick and then enough time for him to get back and courier this letter to the Philippians. So whatever period of time that Epaphroditus was in Rome, it was considerable time because of the journey, that 800-mile journey, it's estimated by historians that it took approximately six weeks minimum to travel from Philippi to Rome. So we had to give the under, have the understanding, which we know now was a great and arduous journey for him to take and how long he must have been in Rome because they already had word of his illness and they were distressed. <clears throat> He wasn't distressed about his own condition, but was concerned more about the Philippian believers. Distressed here, the word uh, describes a condition which was of deep anguish or anxiety or emotional turmoil. That's what he was going through, worrying about the saints of Philippi because they were concerned about him, not because of his own well-being or his illness, he was concerned about the saints back in Philippi. And that caused him anguish. Apparently he had been sick for quite some time. You might ask, what was the nature of his illness? Could have been many reasons, as we, I just mentioned. He had attended to Paul's needs. He was a fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister. Maybe it was overexertion. Maybe his immune system had been so compromised by the arduous journey and the work that he did there and then being exposed to some form of illness, it caused him to be ill, almost to the point of death. Whatever it was, he had lost all his strength. We can only imagine what that he must have been going through week 
we have such a advanced medicine now and are able to get treated for things that we would have died from previously, even in the last three decades. But as we consider ancient history in Rome, when somebody was ill, they laid in bed, maybe had hot compresses or some herbs and oils and were treated in that means. But they just had to wait for the disease to take its course. So whatever that had done or whatever period of time that had taken, he was exhausted. And yet here he was going to head back to Philippi to encourage these believers. Why didn't God miraculously heal this servant? This is a question that is being pondered. And I was really encouraged to see this addressed by uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Not all people are healed. Sometimes God allows people to endure sickness for his purposes. Sometimes he takes them home. So we can pray for people, but the aspect of thinking that you're going to lay hands on somebody and heal them, apart from God's sovereignty, is, is false teaching. There are no healers. God is the healer. Paul did miraculously have the ability to pray and heal in the portion of Acts we see in chapter 28. This is the event of that text. And he said it happened in Acts 28, verses 8 and 9. And it happened that the father of Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days, happened that the father of Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and prayed, and he laid his hands upon him and healed him. So at one time, God worked through Paul in order to exercise healing. But God is a healer. Paul was used, and there was a time and period, of course, where the sign gifts were used to authenticate that they were from God. And during that period of time, God did miraculous healings and other miraculous signs in order to authenticate that they were from God. That was a short period in church history. God's totally sovereign, and the Spirit dispenses gifts as he wills. If a man is going to be healed and say, God's going to do that, but he's going to do it now. He's exercising an error or false teaching. God is the one that heals, and he is the one that's sovereign over healing. He alone. <clears throat> we sometimes want to see saints not suffer or go through the things that they do. But we have to understand God's purpose in that. He sovereignly has a divine purpose in allowing sickness or illness or afflictions. <clears throat> the Philippians had good reason to be concerned because he had been sick to the point of death, and yet God had mercy. 
That's how Paul described it. Did he pray for Epaphroditus? He didn't lay hands on him, but certainly he lifted him up in prayer. And perhaps Epaphroditus himself. But it said that God had mercy, not only on him, on Epaphroditus, but also Paul. Paul is sending them back to the Philippian church so they can see that he's recovered and they can rejoice, even though he had been a great help in Paul's ministry. But he was more concerned about the Philippian believers. Think about that. The selflessness that Paul exhibits through encouragement of sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi. Think of it this way. If we were in harm's way and suffering and constrained in some way so we couldn't see the saints or fellowship with the saints whom we dearly loved and somebody sent from that fellowship to minister to us and we knew that it would be better for them to go back, but we want them to be with us to bring that encouragement and fellowship and kinship in Christ. And yet think of the selflessness saying, no, Epaphroditus, you're well. I thank you for coming, but I'm sending you back because it's greater for you as well as the Philippian believers. What a selfless act. It just encourages me so much to see that the divine grace of God gives us the ability to sustain us through whatever circumstances he brings us. Paul's ministry was a joy to the Philippian believers, and they were so excited to hear this report about Epaphroditus, but to receive him back would have been a great gift from Paul to the Philippians. Paul described himself as being poured out as a drink offering in service for the Christian life. The Christian life is totally governed and controlled by our sovereign Lord. Our circumstances, there's nothing to take for granted because we can trust in the sovereign God that we serve. The Christian life uh, is a natural life, and a human life. What do I mean by that? We're supernaturally and divinely brought in to a new creation by God himself. He draws us. He brings us to the point of salvation, saves us, regenerates us, sanctifies us, and someday, of course, will glorify us. Paul understood this. He understood the whole process. He knew exactly what God was doing in and through Epaphroditus, as well as his servant Timothy and all those that ministered to Paul. He understood God's process here. Sometimes we think that we're only Christians if we've lost our natural feelings. In other words, Uh, God's called me to this, and so I can't feel the emotion of pain or I can't feel sorry for somebody or even have 
a yearning to see that individual. Paul annihilates that type of thinking here. Yes, we are divinely transformed by God, but he allows us to still uh, have these human emotions God created us to have. Paul's love for Epaphroditus is shown right here. He says this, and my dear, this dear brother who worked alongside him was dying. Epaphroditus was to the point of death. Then Paul said, God had mercy on him that he would not have sorrow upon sorrow. God gave us this human emotion and feelings so that we shouldn't think of ourselves as unspiritual. I appreciate it. That's a quote from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I appreciate that understanding, that insight that he gives. Somehow, uh, I feel the pain of even some of the missionaries that go out and if they yearn for their families or friends and home fellowship back at home, somehow they feel unspiritual because they shouldn't have those emotions. And yet God created us that way. It is the natural way that God created us and yet supernaturally worked in us. Paul understood that and conveys that. His emotions, his concern, his love for his brother. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And it's lifted up here as Paul exhibits this great love for his brother. He tells the Philippian believers that they should receive him with joy. He should be received with deep gratitude to the Lord for his faithful ministry. He deserves more than just a welcome. He is to be held in high regard. He's saying that true respect must be shown to those who are willing to surrender their lives to Christ. An example would be we have in our midst now Gordon and Nancy Hunt. Many of you know them that have been a part of this body for some time. Some of you don't know him as yet. But they uh, were missionaries and they served 30 years in Paraguay. They ministered to the Manhuis, which is a tribe in Paraguay. But while they were there during that period, for decades, they studied the language of the Manhui tribe. And they did, over a period of decades, translate the New Testament into their language and then taught them, helped them to read and to be able to understand and read God's word. That was the sacrificial ministry they had. They left everything to serve in a foreign land, sometimes a hostile land, to serve selflessly, to bring forth God's word, and then preserve God's word and bring it to these foreign tribes. In the same way, similar way, we've sent out uh, the Kleinstras, Chris and Debbie and their children, and they serve in Indonesia, and they have been over there for several years, which they'll be returning for a short visit in February. I hope those of you that don't know them have an opportunity to meet them. When we think of these people that selflessly give up everything that they knew here in this country, belongings, 
friendships, family, and leave to a foreign land to serve, to bring forth the gospel in some form. To a foreign land. They're serving in different ways, but they're all there for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've sacrificed everything to do so. As we think of them, not just praying for them, but truly bringing forth and bringing an element of appreciation and honor to what God has used them for. We praise the Lord for what he has done through them. It's interesting uh, how we view things, but I, I want to read a quote from Barclay in his commentary to the Philippians on the Philippians. He gave a couple examples of risking their lives to minister the gospel. Quote, Soon after New Testament times, a group of Christians banded together in an association they called Parabolone, which means the gamblers. Taking Epaphroditus as their model, they visited prisoners and ministered to the sick, especially with those who had dangerous, communicable diseases whom no one else would help. They boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever they went. A second example is when the city of Carthage on the Mediterranean coast of North Africa suffered a severe plague in A.D. 225. The pagan inhabitants were so frightened of this contagion that they refused to touch the dead bodies, even to bury them. Cyprian, bishop of the church there, led the Christians in an arduous and dangerous task of ministering to the sick and the dying and burying thousands of corpses. The spiritual influence of that silent but powerful testimony on their unbelieving and formerly hostile neighbors doubtless was immeasurable, end quote. Now, William Barclay, I really appreciate his historical insights. He's a really great historian that gives us a lot of good insights. But this particular reference here to that of the ministry of Epaphroditus and the ministry that came out of that following of this text is amazing. And they used it to honor God. When we read or hear about some accounts uh, even with some of our own missionary outreach, Justin Peters, when he talks about some of the crude and dingy places where he stayed and had to outreach the gospel and bring forth truth and expose error to many remote areas of the world, he reminds me much of what we see in the New Testament of missionaries going out to foreign tribes or going out to places that were of danger to bring forth the gospel. They were dangerous enemies of Christ in Rome, especially since Paul took the chance 
of being executed. So Epaphroditus put himself in danger just identifying himself as a Christian, which he boldly did, and then going to a man whom some of the Romans hated, especially those of the emperor's household. Now, we already know that Paul had ministered to the Praetorian Guard, and then it entered into the emperor palace itself, the gospel. Paul says that they might supply what was lacking in my service, your service to me. This shouldn't be taken uh, as a reprimand. Paul was a, dis, that he was dissatisfied or with their service. There wasn't anything incomplete that the Philippians had lacked in doing. But he, uh, Hendrickson renders it this way. Your favors shown to me are deeply appreciated. If there were anything lacking in your kindness toward me, you have certainly made up for it by sending Epaphroditus, end quote. That's a good insight to that text. Paul, in this section of scripture, directs his affairs from prison. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's not concerned about what the emperor do. He said, I hope to come to you in the Lord Jesus. He's, he's trusting only in his savior. He's not concerned about what the emperor's going to do. That emperor's still under the sovereignty of God. Paul was anxiously looking forward to being reunited with these saints. He knew his life and his ministry was in God's hands. We want to, I just want to close with this. This short example of a man who selflessly served the apostle in the Lord Jesus Christ was an example for all of us. As far as we know, he had no leadership role in the Philippian church. May have, might have been a deacon. But he was a servant because of his love of Christ and his love for the lost. And his concern was bringing forth the gospel. What an example to all of us. Father, we just thank you and ask, Lord, that you would uh, be glorified as we ponder your word. And may you empower us to follow these examples of those servants in time past, which you have lifted up as your servants. May we emulate you, your servant Paul, and those who have gone before us. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the grace to provide us with your word and your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to bring us edification through the study and preaching of your word. And we also want to lift up our praise to you in collective worship so that you may be given all the glory. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.